Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Just pray that you uh, allow us to see it with fresh eyes, allow it to see it anew so that you can continue to teach us and, and show us the things that we need to learn. And we give you all the praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to dive right in here. We're in, uh, in chapter 4, and it's going to take probably a couple weeks to get through chapter 4. There's a, there's a lot going on there. And as we take a look at the book of Hosea, remember we've, we've talked about this before, the whole idea of the setting of this book. And really in understanding the book, there's there's three ways, really, almost three levels of understanding. The, the first level is understanding the heart of God. And if you understand it from the heart of God, that's great. That's, if you get that and nothing else, that's wonderful. Because at the, the same thing we do with the parables. There's, a, there's an understanding of what the heart of God is, what the kingdom of God is about. And if we can understand that in Hosea, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. Because we see over and over and over in the book of Hosea, that it's God that is faithful, that even though the people of Israel have chased after other gods, and we see this picture of Hosea and Gomer and the children and the harlotry, even though we see all that going on, God is the one that is faithful, that continues to woo his people back. And that application gets us for today. We know that all of us that are here today, it's only because God loves us. The Bible says that we love God because he first loved us. It's not, a, it's not a fair transaction. It really isn't. It's, it's really all about God. We are the beneficiary. There's nothing that we really bring to the relationship. There's responsibilities we have because we're part of the family. But there's nothing we, we bring to the relationship. That's why the Bible says it's, it's not about your works. You can't do enough good in order to earn the love of God. It's really all about God. So the first level of understanding Hosea is understanding the heart of God. The second part is a little bit more interesting, and that's where we spend some of our time, and that's understanding how this relates specifically to Israel, to understand that the nation of Israel had broken apart, that Israel or Ephraim or Jacob had gone to the north, the country that we'd eventually know as Samaria after they're conquered by the Assyrians and come back again. Um, uh, understanding Judah, understanding the practices, understanding some of the nuances of, of gods, of the false gods like Baal or, or Asherah, and understanding how contemptible that type of worship is to God, how God um, uh, looks at it as adultery, that anytime we chase after something uh, that fills the place of where only God rightfully belongs, uh, God looks at it as adultery. So we spend most of our time actually in this second part of understanding some of the nuances, understanding the culture, um, under, understanding that the idea of relationship, the Hebrew word behind it, um, knowledge also means relationship, the, to know God, just like Adam knew his wife. That's the same type of thing. It's, it's to be able to have this intimacy. And anything that breaks that intimacy, God looks as, as really a, a, adultery. And that's where we spend most of our time. The third part, which we, they don't address at all, and most people don't, is there's a prophetic element in these books. In fact, if you take a look at all of the books in the Bible, of the 66 books in the Bible, about 
about two-thirds of them, probably more like 50, 55 of the books of, in the Bible, are prophetic. There's a part of prophecy in there. And I like spending some time there. Now, it's dangerous doing that, and you have to do it kind of lightly. You can't be too dogmatic about it, because just as we saw the prophecies about the Messiah, and we take a look at them, we realize that to truly understand that, you had to kind of look back. Because we see these, these prophecies of the Messiah, and Jesus fulfills like verses 1, 2, 3, and 5, but not 4. You know, so, so there's, there's things in there that are, that are difficult. When the people welcome Jesus on, on the, uh, on the uh, Palm Sunday, we all celebrate that in church. And we know the story that Jesus comes into Jerusalem uh, riding on a colt, uh, like a conquering king, but he's on a donkey. And, but it was prophesied that the Messiah would come in like that. And the people cut down palm branches and they put them down and they say, Hosea, Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's part of prophecy. But, but if you take a look at the prophecy, immediately after that is that, and the Messiah will come and he'll break the, the bows from the hands of the oppressors. And he'll trample underfoot those that oppressed my people Israel. And it's like, well, that didn't happen. But it will happen. It will happen. So prophecies like that. We'll take a look at some of these the prophecies in Hosea, and we're getting we got to a couple of them already. But we'll get to some more of them, and we have to we have to walk carefully on that. It's kind of like walking on rice paper. You have to tread very very carefully because it's so easy to tear it, to 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 take a tear. And that's and that's I think the reason why a lot of people don't spend too much time in the prophecy of the book of Hosea. But Here's the thing, is that Hosea told the people. He said, you've rebelled against God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You've rebelled against him, and there's no knowledge anymore in you, and you no longer are doing what you're going to do, and God is going to allow you to be taken into captivity. And even though you're paying tribute to Egypt, and you're paying tribute to Assyria, Assyria has eyes for you, and Assyria has plans for you. And sure enough, uh, by the end of the, of the prophecies, by the time Hosea, uh, these prophecies are being assembled, this, this poetry is being assembled, uh, after 25 years, sure enough, Assyria comes in, one of their first sweeps, and basically conquers the entire kingdom of Israel, carries half the people away, only to come back again eight, eight or nine years later and take the rest of the people away as well. So this is, this is prophetic. It's prophetic. And there's, there's a part of the prophecy, and the reason I like it is this, is that there's a lot of people that can tell great stories. There's a lot of great people that can sit down and give you history and teach you culture. But only God knows the beginning from the end. Only God has the ability to prophesy and to stay, say what is bound to happen. When we take a look at prophecy, we realize that it's only God that can do it. Even when, even when Joseph and Daniel revealed the dreams you know, to the king, to, to the pharaoh of Egypt, as well as the king of Assyria and Babylon. Um, even then, the king acknowledged that, that only your God could do this. It, 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 only God can reveal those types of things. So there's a, there's a part of prophecy that we always want to hold on to. We always want to hold on to. One of the, one of the proofs we have of who Jesus is and why he, he was the Messiah and why we can uh, why we can have faith in it is because it was prophesied. 
that the Messiah would come. He, he fulfilled the prophecies of this. The one reason that we believe in the virgin birth is because it said that he was going to be born of a virgin. Rolling back all the way to the book of Genesis, it said that the seed of the woman would be able to, to strike the serpent. Well, seed, women don't have seed, they have eggs. Men have seeds. So how could that be? How could there be a seed of a woman? Well, only looking back. Only when you see how Jesus fulfilled it can you look back and see that that was, that was prophetic. Sound good? So that's, that's why we teach this. So let's, let's get into chapter 4. And it says, Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. You know, this is, this is almost like a legal court. It's almost like the, the, the Lord is standing as judge and he's, he's writing a charge. He's saying, this is what I found you uh, guilty of. And I'm bringing a, a charge against you. The, the charge is, is being brought by the Lord. And he's bringing a charge of, of them. And then it says in verse, the next verse, it says what it is. It says, there is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land by swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery. God loves knowledge. God loves knowledge. Remember, unlike the rest of the people during the time of, of Israel, it was to the Jewish people that God gave his law. And let me tell you, if you take a look at the law of Israel and understand when it was given, it's amazing. When you take a look at the law that was given in Mesoamerica or the, land, or the laws that were written uh, during the time of the Greeks, or folklore in, 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 uh, in Africa, or even the law of the Chinese. These were, these were great civilizations, but the law of the Hebrews is amazing. Much of today's jurisprudence is built on the Jewish laws. I, we were just reading today in, in, the, in, the, in the book of Exodus, and, and God is giving his law, and he just gives the Ten Commandments, but then he goes on, and he says, here's the thing. He says, if, if, a, if, a, if a bull gores somebody, okay, you need to have compensation because your bull gored that person. You know, so he, it, it spells out what the compensation is. Okay? But he says, but here's the thing. If the bull was known to gore people, okay, then the person that owns the, the bull is also guilty. Not just the bull, but also the... This sounds like Judge Judy. <laughs> This is, this is American jurisprudence is coming from the Jewish law. And there's no other society that can say that. I had a friend that was Greek. His name was Nicholas. I think all Greeks are named Nicholas. <laughs> His name is Nicholas. He's a good friend, good friend. And, uh, and he loves the Greeks. And he would constantly be telling me how the Greeks were the ones that, that created Western civilization. And my hat's off to the Greeks. I mean, they were amazing people. But, the, but compared to the Hebrews, compared to the law that was given to the Hebrews, the law that was, was given to them, to the understanding of justice and how they were supposed to take care of things, I mean, and how they were supposed to take care of their strangers and how they were supposed to take care of their, themselves and widows and orphans. I mean, this was, this, was, uh, this was from God. So God is very interested in truth and mercy and knowledge. And that's what it says. He says, here you go, Israel. There is no truth. There is no mercy or no, no knowledge because if there was, next verse, you wouldn't be doing this. Swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery. So God's saying it's obvious you, 
you don't have you don't get it because when I look around I see the opposite I've given you the law I've given you the way that you need to to love each other the way you need to care for each other the way you're supposed to respect property the way you're supposed to respect the Lord your God you see this isn't just about a jealous God that's not getting his this isn't just about a God who is jealous because the people aren't worshiping him okay that's a very self-centered God God's not a self-centered God God does things for his glory, but he gives it to his people. The law was given to the people for their benefit. It was for their benefit, not so much for God's benefit, but for their benefit. And God, and God is saying, you, you've gone astray. It's the next verse it says, you, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon blood, bloodshed. The, the, the Hebrew there says blood spilt, blood spilt. That's what it says. Blood spilt, blood spilt. So it's like, it's happening so much, it's like watching the 24-hour news cycle now in the United States, you know. And remember, when you watch the news, you have to understand they're only reporting the bad stuff, okay? I mean, they're, they're searching all over the place for somebody killed by a gun. They're looking for it. They're looking for it. And if they find it, they're, it's going to be on the news all the time. But that's how it seemed in Israel, is that it was bloodshed after bloodshed after bloodshed. This was a continuing thing. Says, verse 3, it says, Therefore the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea will be taken away. So God is calling them into judgment. Remember, he starts off by giving them a legal document. He's saying, I'm bringing a charge against you. And he's acting as the judge and the jury, and he's basically saying, and this is the result of this charge. We don't have to have a trial. I already know exactly what's happened. And I find you guilty. And because I find you guilty, the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. When the Bible references the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, it means there's been a lack of civilization. There's a lack of civilization. The, the, there, was a, there was a city there at one time, and then city moves in, the beasts move out. Okay, um, have you heard about some of the stuff going on in Seminole County? It's interesting because it's it's growing. It's growing. They're putting more and more subdivisions in, and they're <laughs> the the animals aren't leaving. <laughs> they are leaving, and they've got they've got cougars, and they've got they've got brown bears, and they've got uh, coyotes that are walking through the streets, and it's really unusual for them because typically when civilization moves in, the the animals kind of move out, but. But for some reason, the animals don't want to leave. <laughs> so maybe they have to join the HOA. Never, you never can tell. But that's what it, that's that's the that's the reference here. When it says, uh, not only will the the land will mourn and everyone who dwells there will waste away. That it's 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 as if it's. Have you ever gone? Well, one of like my hometown, Detroit. If, if you've been to Detroit, now Detroit's coming back in many, many ways. It really is. The downtown area, it's amazing. Um, they have a new mayor. Uh, things are turning around a little bit. But quite frankly, the reason it's turning around is because they couldn't go anywhere else. I mean, they had, they had sunk so low. They had, they had bottomed out. They're, they couldn't get any worse. Um, they had to get better. But if you, if you go through Detroit, you can see the land mourn. Because I can take you to places where my mom used to live, for example, uh, and my relatives used to live. That used to be beautiful city streets and nice little houses, little row houses with little garages behind them. And basically, they're gone. 
I mean, they've, they've torn down most of those houses. If you, if you go through that area, it looks like it's fields, like just fields. But if you go into it much, you'll, you'll find the cement foundations. You'll still find the driveways. You'll find the patios. They're still there. It's just that they've, they've been kind of grown over. And that's what I feel when it says that the, the land will mourn. And that's what, that's what Hosea is saying about the people of Israel. Remember, they got the better deal, by the way. Most scholars believe that when the people of Israel separated and Judah and Benjamin to the south and Israel to the north, that is Israel, these 10 tribes actually got the better deal, that the land up there was actually more prosperous. For whatever reason, they tended to do better. They, economically, they were better. They know that just by kind of the archaeologists and going back and, and taking a look at the houses that they had and the, the way that the houses were built and, and whether or not they were... They were uh, uh, painted, or they had uh, murals on the walls. Um, when, I was, when I was down in Mexico, it was really interesting. Right outside of Mexico City, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's an area um, that goes back to the time of the Inca Indians, but, but it's not the Incas. It goes back to like 1000 BC. And, and what's interesting about this area is that it was undiscovered up until the 19th century. It was the 1940s, 1950s, that they didn't even know it was there. They kind of stumbled over it. Now, now looking at it, it's surprising that they stumbled it because there were pyramids. There was a temple of the sun and a temple of the moon that goes up 400 feet. I mean, these are, these are huge structures, but it's jungle. And the jungle just kind of covers this stuff over. And it looks like a hill, and it's not really a hill, it's just kind of the jungle. The, the jungle encroached on them. And what's interesting is if you go there, the people that were living there at the time, at the beginning of the 20th century, were living under primarily almost, almost Stone Age conditions. I mean, really, I mean, I mean, they had some metal implements and things like that, but they were going to bathroom, the bathroom in the forest, okay? Their houses were made out of mud. There was no running water. They would go down to the creek and get a bucket, and that's how they, that's how they lived. This was in Mexico, outside of Mexico City in the early 20th century. The city that they uncovered had plumbing. The walls were made out of brick. And there were murals on the inside. I've seen them. I was, I've gone into some of these places. We had an archaeologist that was a friend of ours. And I've gone into some of these places that go back 2,500 years. And in the inside of these, these brick buildings, there's mural, murals on the wall. It looks like, like Epcot. It looks like going into the land. You know, when you go into the land at Epcot, you have all those murals on the wall, little tiles. That's what it looks like. It's, it's beautiful, 2,500 years old. And you can, you, can, you can imagine the land mourning because it was once prosperous and it was vigorous and there were people there and there were children playing in the streets and things were going great. And then something happened. This, this economic demise where the, where the people left. And it says, the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea will be taken away. There's, there's really nothing left. Everything's, everything's gone. Verse 4, it says, Now let no man contend nor rebuke another, for your people are like those who contend with the priest. Ooh, that's interesting. Let me tell you, as a pastor, anytime I see words about what the priest should be doing or what the people should be doing with the priest, it catches my attention. So it, it caught my attention, and I, and I wanted to make sure that I, that I understood what this was. Is, and we have to understand, first of all, that this idea of 
contending with the priest means that you know more than he does. That's what it means. It means I know more than you do. I know more than you do. Kind of, again, a little story. My, uh, my, uh, my daughter, uh, she's on her second marriage, her last marriage. Uh, first one was practice, right? First one was practice. Sometimes people have to practice. And it, and it broke our heart because she tried really hard for, for years to make it work, and it just didn't work. And there was a lot of reasons for that. And when we met the family that she was marrying into, we kind of understood some of the reasons. I mean, there was, there was, it was an unusual. It was an unusual group. But what was interesting was that um, by this time, I'm no longer working for Ford. I'm a, I'm a pastor. And, and the, the mother of the family, nice woman, didn't have anything really against her, but she contended with me. Uh, she decided to go out of her way to teach me about religion. Now, this is a woman that hadn't been in a church for probably 15 to 20 years, you know, was baptized when she was a child, doesn't remember that, but she decided that she was going to contend with me. And I just let her have her peace and let her say her thing, but it was kind of it was interesting. It's like, where did you get your theology degree? I mean, how, how did you, you know, what are the, what are the things that apologists uh, basically say, a good response is when somebody says something that doesn't sound right and you know is, is contrary to what God says, one of the questions to say is, well, what led you to that conclusion? What, what led you to the conclusion? Well, you know, it doesn't really matter who you, I mean, really, the Bible's all full of errors, and, you know, you can't even read that anyway, you know, and the Bible's all full of errors. Translations are horrible. And, and, really, and really, the Apache Indians had the true religion. <laughs> so the response is, oh, that's interesting. What led you to come to that conclusion? What did you study? What did you read? You know, that, that came to that conclusion. But you see these, so Hosea say, basically said, uh, your people are like those who contend with the priest. Therefore, you shall stumble in the day. So the idea is that Hosea is saying, this isn't a good idea. You know, uh, you who lack knowledge pretends that you have, have some and you're contending with the priest. But then it goes on and says this. It says, the prophet also shall stumble with you in the night. And I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So it says the prophet will also stumble with you in the night. Hosea is probably speaking to about himself. He's probably speaking about himself. Because here's the thing, is that the teachers, the teachers of Israel, God had, a, had an important role for them. They were just to, to teach the people. And when the, when the people are doing all these things that Hosea is contending against, <clears throat> Whose fault is it? Well, we've talked about the attraction of Baal. We've talked about the attraction of Asra. And we talked about the, the attraction of dancing around and doing all kinds of horrible, detestable things and praying to a God that would give you rain and then rain. So we have some understanding of that. But whose fault is it really? Well, Hosea is going to be pointing to the figure that it's, it's really the, the priests. And to some extent, the prophets. Because the prophets are spoken supposed to be speaking the word of God, and he wants, I mean, it has an effect. The, the, the purpose of Hosea's preaching is to get the people to repent, to get them to change. And, and they aren't changing. They aren't changing. So as a result, uh, God is bringing a charge not only against the people, but also against the priests. And, and the, the, going, going back to your point, Becky, the, uh, the idea of, of Jesus contending with the, the priests and the Levites at the time is that it was for their arrogance because they would add on burdens. I mean, he had the law, but then they added burdens onto that as well. Um, he was, when he was talking about um, 
you know, you, you tithe mint and cumin and gnats, you know, strain out the gnats, he said. And then he says this, he says, those things you should do, you know, you should go ahead and pay your tithe, but you don't want to add beyond that, go no beyond that. And, and even the Sabbath, Jesus said, you know, you don't understand the, the Sabbath was made for man, um, not man made for the Sabbath. So putting things in the right order. Uh, but the people had, had lost their minds because they're doing these things. They're stumbling in the dark. And it says, the prophet also shall stumble with you in the night, and I will destroy your mother. You know, it's one thing to stumble. There's, there's one, it's one thing to stumble during the, during the night. That's easy to do, and that's what the prophet is doing. The prophet is stumbling with you in the night. I, I kind of like that. The people are stumbling during the day. You know, so, and in fact, he makes a, he makes a um, uh, I, I don't know whether it's here or, or real soon, but he's going to compare um, the idolatry of Israel to the idolatry of Judah. And he's going to measure them differently. He's going to measure them differently. He's going to rebuke Israel because this is going on all the time. And some of that is going on in Judah, but not all of it. Not all so of it. Well, he's, he's realizing that he's going, to, he's going to get some of the backlash. Because what he talks about is that um, um, the, the prophet will also stumble with you in the night. So that, that there's, there's, there's part of Hosea that's, if, if he's talking about himself, and I think he is. Because uh, he doesn't mention any other prophet throughout this whole thing, um, that that he's going to be affected. If if anything, he's going to be affected by the captivity. He's going to be affected by the invading army uh, when they come and they plunder Israel. Uh, whatever he has is all well is going to be plundered. When when uh, Dan when when uh, Daniel was taken as captive, um, when he was taken away, um, I mean he he also suffered. Even though he was had a, had a reason for being there and he was appointed, he also suffered. He was also one of the deportees. Um, we're going to go on. We're going to go on. We're going to talk a little bit more about the priest here in verse nine, and it says, "Let's go on." It says, verse seven: the "More they increase, the more they sinned against me. I will charge, change their glory into shame. They will eat up the sin of my people and set their heart on their and set their heart on iniquity." It says the more they increase. This was a populous people. This was a, this was a thriving nation. Uh, again, from archaeological records, everything we see is the people were, were thriving. And during the time, in fact, Jeroboam, who was this one, the king, this is the time of Jeroboam II, um, he was a good king to the extent that he provided prosper, peace and prosperity for his people. It wasn't only until after him that Assyria came in and, and conquered the people. But he was a horrible king when it comes to their relationship with the Lord. Because he was wicked, but at the same time, even though he was wicked, the people had peace and prosperity. Which is, which is one of those things. You can never equate one with the other. You know, sometimes you feel like if you're blessed economically, you're blessed spiritually. But I gotta tell you from, a, from my own history, that that's not necessarily true. Some of the times that I, I needed to get right with God, some of the best times spiritually my wife and I have had have had happened during some difficult times in our life. And you might have found the same thing. It's, it's, it's in the struggles of life sometimes that you, that you realize you can't do it all on your own. And as a result, you, 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 reach out to, you reach out to God. You reach out to God. It says, they set their heart on their iniquity, and it should be like this, like people, like priest. And I like that. Like priest, like people. Both, both are true, right? Like people, like priest. Like priest, like people. The, it's, it's said often that, that people get the rulers that they deserve. Here, certainly in, the country, in this country, we get the rulers we elect, right? I mean, 
who are those people, people that elected those people, right? I mean, you can always point to somebody else, but we get the rulers we kind of deserve. And it's the same thing when it talks about priests and spiritual things, is that, is that the people are responsible for believing what the word, word of God has to say about their relationship with God. But the person that's also responsible is their pastor, their teacher. And like people, like teacher, like teacher, like people, they kind of, uh, kind of go together. It's, it's very rare that you would have a congregation that believes one thing and the pastor believes another. I mean, that's unusual. I mentioned that when I, when I come across a verse like this, you know, like uh, they contend with the priests or like, like people, like priests, uh, it, it stops me for a second. It's going to take my calling very serious and I, and I spend some time. So I looked up some commentaries on this and this is what it said. I think you'll like it. It says, like people, like priests. The priests may have thought that they would be immune from the judgment coming upon, upon Israel. After all, they were the priests. But God promises that when it comes to judgment, like people, like priests. There's no doubt that the priesthood of Israel was corrupt. Jeroboam I had made priests from all sorts of people. That's in 1 Kings 12.31. Therefore, a large number of the true priests and doubtless true prophets also who had left the northern kingdom um, uh, weren't considered uh, for the priesthood. They took other people. Uh, there's also a way to understand the phrase like people, like priests. It's a way of as the people go, so go the priests. You know, in the Bible, it says in the latter days, and this is talking about the church, in the latter days, people will have itching ears, itching ears, and they won't be content to be able to listen to the true word of God. They're going to want to have people preach what they want to hear. And, you know, unfortunately, that, that happens so often today. You know, you're talking about church governance, and, and Pastor Hal talked a little bit about the presbyteries, and there's probably about one-third of the Christian church has that type of governance. You've got true congregational, completely congregational. You've got presbytery type of governance, and then the other one is typically Episcopal form. Um, then, and there's also one that's kind of come around, but it's actually pretty popular right now, and that's a, the idea of a strong elder board. So it's kind of elder-led, where you've got, you've got a, a pastor with a, a group of elders, and they kind of rule over the church. And the people, people can come and go, but they, they're not, they don't have a vote. They don't have a vote. A lot of churches have done that. A lot of churches have gone more from a, a membership to a partnership type of approach where the people participate in some way. They might have some effect on fundraising or maybe on who the elders might be or whether they stay. But typically the church is run by the pastor. Um, in my 20 years of, of, of uh, serving in the church in a pastoral role, I've avoided, <laughs> avoided congregational rule. Um, for the main purpose is that is I, I saw it as a younger man, and I didn't like it. I didn't like it that the pastor, I was, I was in a church where the pastor was forced out. Not because he wasn't a good man. It's because for some reason the, the powers that be did, didn't like him. One of the things people have asked me before, and we'll get, and we'll get back to Hosea, but they're talking about the, the idea of different governances within the church, and I say something that I haven't heard other people say, but you know, Israel was supposed to be a theocracy. When they decided they wanted a king, God said, well, I'll give you a king, but you're not going to like it. And they got Saul, okay? And they didn't like Saul. Um, but they wanted to be like the rest of the people and have a king. But they were originally designed to be a theocracy. Even when you read the, the book of, uh, of Exodus, talking about some of these laws, it says, well, when this happens, bring it before the Lord. And whatever the Lord decides, that's what you have to do. It's, well, how do you bring it before the Lord? Well, it was considered to be a theocracy. Well, here's the thing. The church is actually a theocracy. 
And that's why all natural governance in the churches is going to fail. Uh, not necessarily fail, but be imperfect. So whether it's congregational or Episcopal, I mean, all of them can work to a certain extent. But actually, the head of the church is none other than Jesus Christ. And if the head of the church is Jesus Christ, then any, tried, any kind of organizational structure we put underneath it is going to be less than perfect. Less than perfect. But that's why we always want to be able to pray and believe and to be encouraged that the Lord is still going to kind of speak through us. Let me get on. So verse, we're in verse 9. Let's go to verse end of 9. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. For they shall eat but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry but not increase because they have ceased obeying the Lord. So this is a typical, remember Hosea is poetry and the poetry follows a certain pattern. And what the pattern has, what we've seen now through the first, these four chapters is the same type of pattern, which God kind of says, this is what you do. This is what I expect from you. You're not doing that. This is what you're doing. So as a result, this is going to happen. And this is what, this is the pattern that we see in Hosea. And it's repeated for important emphasis. Sometimes you have to say things two, three, four different. My wife says things, she has to tell me like six times sometimes. And I don't know why that is, but some, you know, my wife reminds me that sometimes she's got to tell me more than once before I try to I actually figure it out and actually understand what she'd like me to do. And that's what it says. I, they, will, they will eat. You know my wife. They shall eat, but, I, but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry, but not increase. So it's, you know, it's interesting, and this is the thing. When you chase after sin, and we saw this in the, in the prodigal son is too, is when you, when you chase after sin, you're, you're doing it because you think you're going to get something better than what you've got. But what happens often and always is that you're going to chase after sin, and you're going to find it doesn't satisfy. It, it still doesn't satisfy. And this is what it says, even th they shall eat but not have enough. I mean, even, even your appetites, your natural appetites, is not going to satisfy you anymore. The further you move away from God and chase after those things that, that you think are going to satisfy, they don't truly satisfy. They don't truly satisfy. And, and I, can, I can tell you from experience, I mean, that's happened in my own life. When, when I've decided that I was going to go ahead and, you know, I can kind of determine what the parameters are of my religion, you know, and, and you know, over here is not too bad. This is, this is okay. That's something I can do, you know, I can justify that. But you start doing that, and it's, it's not going to satisfy. You think it is, uh, but, it, but it really isn't. And that's what God is saying. He says they're going to eat but not have enough. They'll commit a harlotry in his sexual sins but not increase because they have ceased obeying the Lord. And remember, when the Lord says that he wants obedience, he, may, he wants obedience to his law. His law. Not the law of the nation. He wants obedience to his law. Because his law is perfect. The laws of the nation kind of reflect what the moral laws are, but they're not perfect. God wants obedience to his law. And the main thing that God wants is the first commandment, right? Jesus was asked. And uh, the, 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 was it the rich young ruler that replied, wasn't it? That, who was it that, that gave him the law? Because it wasn't in the words of Jesus. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And then the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And typically, we, that's, the first, that's, a, that's the very first law we're supposed to have. And that's typically the one that we're going to fall short on. So we got through the 10 verses you guys read. All right. Good planning. Good planning. Good job, everybody. So let's, let's stop there.
and we'll pray, and then we'll stick around and talk a little bit, but then we'll pick it up next week at verse 11. Sound good? Let's do it. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to get together, open up your word, get through 10 verses in Hosea. But Lord, we thank you for the fellowship that we share. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.